We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven, and I am your host to talk to you tonight about the AFC West. So we always like to kind of give our thoughts about what the Chargers division rivals have done, kind of what their schedule is looking like. Maybe do a little bit of record predictions as well at the end. So uh, really excited about this episode and excited to talk to my guys, Tyler and Alex. Alex, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good today. I was a little bit behind on the messages, but I know Tyler started up YouTube memberships on the channel. So if you want exclusive access to behind the scenes content and everything we're doing here, uh, pictures of Steven's surgically repaired knees that I'm sure are sexy, uh, <laughs> then then wow. uh, go go subscribe there. I'm not yeah, at guess, that tier yet. Wow. I know. I guess <laughs> you if, have to I get guess to a you're... really high tier for that one. I guess if you're into seeing, you know, 10-year-old scars, I guess, you know, we can we can make that happen. Uh, Tyler is here as well, man. Tyler, how you doing? Man, I had to just throw out all the jokes that went through my head. <laughs> um, but yes, um, feel free to join us in the community membership thing. I know YouTube community memberships are pretty new to YouTube overall, so we're just trying to get used to it. It's like our Patreon, but I know a lot of you on here are YouTube-specific. You don't really cross over to us on Twitter or Patreon, so... There's an opportunity there to join our Discord, get live streams or private live streams, I should say. Steven's OnlyFans, his knees. Um, if you're into that, hey, you want to give us money for that? That's pretty easy content for us. But yeah, no please, please. shaming here. Yeah, exactly. Whatever you want, man. If you, uh, you know, Alex's hair is getting pretty curly. You know, if you want a piece of a strand of his hair, you know, that's your thing. But 
Um, yeah, we, uh, we've had a, a couple uh, good days of Discord chat. So we've got uh, Tyler and I have each dropped a little piece of uh, information in there that you guys will be able to kind of join in. So it's just, uh, like Tyler said, just another way for us to interact with you and probably do so at a greater level. I think, you know, there's a good amount of you guys who listen and support the show through Patreon. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like it's pretty evenly distributed through Patreon, uh, Twitter, and YouTube. So, uh, you know, maybe Discord kind of gets the, the best of all three of those worlds. So uh, go, <laughs> gotta sell that Gak bathwater. Gross, man. <laughs> That's disgusting. Um, but yeah, go download the, the Discord app. We'll have uh, lots of good chatting throughout the year and, uh, you know, dropping some information as we go around. Uh, Tyler, do we want to share the little nuggets that we shared on Discord or we kind of keep it there? No, we can share, or at least I'll share mine. Um, right. There's a couple of things on there, but the more notable one was that the pick at 79 came, was between, when I, I guess, yeah, sure, between JT Woods and Cordell Flott, the slot corner from LSU. Apparently, Staley loved him, and that makes a lot of sense. I initially saw that it was Flott. He was a corner. I didn't watch him, so I couldn't tell you how that fit. But based on his snap counts and where he played, he was primarily a slot guy, was going to be more that slot guy, sort of a hybrid for them. JT Woods, more of the hybrid safety, uh, Flott, more the slot corner sort of hybrid. But it makes sense because right after the draft, what they do, Bryce Callahan, they signed him. So I, I think that does make sense based on what they wanted to do. Obviously, Staley jumping into the SEC. And I guess he was there for Stingley, obviously. But mm -hmm. I guess there was some Cordell Flott love. They have Hoko on the roster. They had met with um, Neil Farrell Jr. So there's a lot there at LSU and in that connection. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Seems like it was legit and it's from a legit source. So there it is. Yeah, the LSU thing is going to be really interesting to keep an eye on because we know how Brandon Staley likes the SEC. We know how Tom Telesco liked Notre Dame, and obviously Brian Kelly is now the coach at LSU. So there's been a lot of you know Georgia connections, and uh, I like how Jamari Sellier in his press conference last week was like, oh, everybody knows that Brandon Staley and, and Coach Kirby are great friends. It's like, oh, okay then. So this is going to be a continual thing. So uh, in your mock drafts next year, make sure you put a, a Georgia Bulldog in the Chargers uh, pick. So the other thing that I had heard actually this morning was that the workout, if you will, for Ben Griffiths, the USC punter, uh, when it was productive was the exact phrase that I got from that. Um, the source that I talked to spoke about uh, thinking that Griffiths was likely to receive a training camp invitation as well. So, um, you know, that is probably going to be the competition for J.K. Scott. He's older than J.K. Scott, which is just kind of a really weird situation because J.K. has been in the league for, I think, four years at this point. Um, but, yeah, so that's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on there. Yeah, only thing I'll mention about the Georgia connection uh, that, that Stephen brings up is we did see uh, during the draft when the Chargers were going to take Isaiah Spiller, the Raiders did uh, leapfrog them. Uh, take Zamir White. So, I mean, I think that's a little bit interesting. I don't know if there was really any interest from the Chargers in Zamir White, but I think that's a pretty uh, interesting thing to do right before the Chargers pick. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think that could have been a thing. Don't know. Yeah, yeah and I'm glad they went with Zamir White, and I'm glad the Chargers went with Spiller. And as Brett says, I am very glad that they went with JT Woods and not Cordell Flott. I was not a big Flott fan. Uh, he was one of my lower-graded cornerbacks in the draft, so I think was just kind of gives them, you know, more versatility. Um, Bill Breland asking about the issue that JT Woods had with his contract. 
I don't necessarily know. I would imagine it's some kind of guaranteed money. Popper, Daniel Popper, that is, didn't necessarily get into it a whole lot. And, you know, it's, you know, these players can participate in rookie mini camps if they sign like a certain waiver, is my understanding of the situation. And maybe Woods just didn't want to uh, sign that waiver without having the contract. I don't know. It's up to everybody. I don't particularly care about a rookie missing two days of mini camp practice, but. Um, obviously wish he would have been out there. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> I, again, I don't really care either. Just hopefully nothing continues. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, get to the main topic today. We're going to talk about and dissect these AFC West draft classes as well as some of their schedules. And we'll talk maybe about uh, some key games to look forward to down the road for all four teams, really. Um, and then kind of give a record prediction of how we see the AFC West standing. So um, I think it's only right that we start. Do you have the Chiefs up first? Okay. So I think it's only right that we start with the Chiefs. They are, of course, the class of the division. They made the most picks in the division and uh, picked some, unfortunately, really good players. So, Alex, we'll get we'll start with you, man. Your uh, initial thoughts about the Chiefs draft class. This is disgustingly good i (laughs) i hate how good this is i hate that they're going to continue to be as relevant as they already were um but yeah no i mean getting trent mcduffie and george karloftis in the first round is just like the epitome of the chiefs getting value out of the draft even in those high rounds and then tyreek hill walks out the door and sky Moore walks right in uh, who, I mean, got a lot of Tyreek Hill comparisons. I don't think he is Tyreek Hill, but the ability to kind of develop with Patrick Mahomes in that offense is perfect. And then, of course, me and uh, me and Kyle were watching uh, day two of the draft, and then all of a sudden we're like, hey, you know, Leo Chanel's still on the board, and the Chiefs get him with a compensatory pick. Um, so, I mean, and you go down the line, I know we all are pretty big fans of Joshua Williams as well getting Darian Kennard in the fifth round um, when I don't think a lot of people thought he was going to be on the board at all. And then of course they do a little bit of pandering to me and take Isaiah Pacheco with their, you know, one of their last selections. Uh, So I I think he's going to be a a stud, you know, running back for them uh, in that kind of RB2 role once Ronald Jones is done to uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair. So yeah, no, this is the best draft class in the AFC West uh, by far. I say that as a Chargers fan. But um, they they really knocked it out of the park in a year where after trading Tyreek Hill, you know, after going through some of the changes that they went through on offense, they had to do it. Uh, And on paper, uh, all these guys really fit really well. Yeah. You mentioned best draft class in the AFC West. I think it has a legitimate argument for best draft class, period. Um, You know, I think that crown would go to the Ravens personally. But, you know, I think you look at the, the Chiefs draft class and I always try and find like themes or you know, clear plans that are trying to be executed. And the Chiefs are telling everybody that they thought their secondary the last few years was complete ass because they drafted six defensive backs in this draft. So you get Trent McDuffie, Brian Cook, Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson or five, excuse me, and Nazi Johnson. So um, really good defensive back prospects. I don't think they necessarily got any stars from this draft class you know i think they got a bunch of really really solid players the pick that really drove me up the wall because i wasn't a huge sky Moore fan but getting leo chanel at pick right. three is ridiculous draft value and he's a really good player you know tyler and i both had him in the top three in our linebackers i, I think alex had him top five as well and you look at just the pairing that he is going to provide with nick bolton 
and it's two players who are just masters against the run. Nick Bolton was uh, top three in, or he was fourth, excuse me, in run run stop percentage this last year as a rookie, and he was seventh in average depth of tackle. And what does Leo Chanel do really well? Those two same things. Uh, he was first in run stop percentage, and he was second in average depth of tackle. So you get him, Nick Bolton. It's just going to make life very, very difficult to run against them. And then they have all these defensive backs that if a couple of them hit, then you're talking about a different situation. So they clearly needed some work on defense, which I think is part of the reason why you trade a player like Tyreek Hill. So you can kind of support the roster at a greater level. And, you know, if these players on defense hit, then you're suddenly talking about a good defense where they've had a pretty shitty defense the last few years. And, you know, it's just been Mahomes and Reed and they've been so good on offense. Um, but I, this defensive class, man, has the makings to be really good for the Chiefs. Yeah, no, this really sucks. I, there's no other way to put it. It's literally good everywhere. And we're talking about just statistically, you want to talk about themes, you know, they have one, two, three, four, five, six players who are top 10 in our composite rankings. McDuffie fifth, Karloftis 10th, Moore third, Cook first, Chanel second, Kennard second at tackle. Uh, you know, McDuffie and Karloftis were 16th and 17th in our consensus board. Six of their seven picks were in our top 75 on our consensus board. The only one that wasn't was Williams, and that's only because I didn't grade him. He might have been in our top 75. I have no idea. It's such a good draft. Now, whether they fit or not, I don't know. I, I would have liked Trent McDuffie's fit with the Chargers more than with the Chiefs, where he's basically going to be by himself yeah. and with Brian Cook, whereas McDuffie, you can move him all over, play him in the slot, play him as a safety. McDuffie, as a primary outside guy now, is a, maybe more, more concerning. I liked him a lot for the Chargers. But it's not even just that. I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit to the value that the Chiefs got. I mean, the Raiders are on here as well. But the Chiefs, you know, number three for Warren Sharp and best value draft classes up here, third. Um, big giant chart. Now, this chart did have Sailor as a uh, worst value. And yeah. that is completely wrong. So just for what it's worth, I'm not saying everything in here is, on, in here is correct. And then, of course, Arjun sends me this. And guess who got the uh, best value <laughs> in terms of deviations from the consensus board? That's the Chiefs at number one. So number one here. Number three here, six top 10 players in our composite rankings, six top 75 players on our consensus big board. Again, maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe the fit with the team is terrible. But in terms of just the players they selected, this is easily the best AFC West draft. Yeah, I think you look at the fit for McDuffie, and I don't love the fit. And, you know, me personally, I feel like he needed to be in some kind of Fangio, Staley scheme that would use his ability to, you know, flip-flop between zone and man coverage. You know, the Chiefs, ask, they put their cornerbacks on an island so often because they love to blitz. They love to play, you know, run defense first with their linebackers. So I'm not crazy about the McDuffie fit. I, I personally, if they if I were drafting a man corner for them, I would have chosen Kyer Elam, who went two picks later to the Bills. Um, but still, very, very good cornerback. I think he's definitely going to elevate that room. And like I said, you have Leo Chanel. A lot of people have given them a lot of praise for Darian Kennard, and I think that is fair for the player. But also, I feel like everybody's forgetting that they have Joe Tooney and Trey Smith. Like, Darian Kennard's not going to start for them. Like, there's there's just no chance, barring an injury, that Darian Kennard starts for them unless he's playing right tackle, which, it, please, by all means, put him at right tackle. <laughs> Um, but if they're drafting him as a guard, people are like, that's so good. He's going to be a great guard for them. I'm like, yeah, but they have two elite starters. Like they don't need another guard. So 
Didn't love that one. Uh, I don't know who Nazi Johnson is. I didn't grade Joshua Williams because there was no film on his school, but he seems like a really good guy. And his senior bowl film was fantastic. So mm-hmm. yeah. really like Ryan Cook. I liked Sky Moore less than you guys, but I liked him. I like George Karloftis. I like Trent McDuffie. So I don't necessarily think they got any stars by any means, but I think they got a lot of good players and a lot of good value, right. like Tyler was saying. I think it's also like uh, Kapil says in the chat over here, just a lot of guys who have low bust potential, right? Sort of yeah. you're picking a lot of high floor players, right? Even if Trent McDuffie doesn't become like a star cornerback, you know he's going to be very good at what he does. <laughs> uh, you know, same thing, I, I think, even with Leo Chanel, same thing with Sky Moore. Um, just players who know their role and, and know how to contribute. Yes, as my dad says, uh, we hate, hate, hate the Chiefs. Thank you for yes. the super chat, Dad. We do. We do hate the Chiefs, but I love this draft. And I'm, I'm so glad I got to dive into this draft class this year so much just to see how much <laughs> I love the, the Chiefs draft. That makes me feel really good. Yeah. I think, you know, you guys who are a little bit higher on Sky Moore, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up here. How do you see him fitting in? You know, I think Tyree Kill filled so many different roles for that team and right. now you have Valdez Scantley who's kind of the deep threat guy Juju maybe the shorter intermediate area so where does Sky more fit in you know what from what we know about the Chiefs offense I mean I, I think you kind of eventually want him to do a little bit of everything obviously I, I don't think he's going to be Tyreek Hill from the jump or anything um, but with Juju and with Marquez Valdez Scandling, like, I don't think he also needs to do anything necessarily like from day one, obviously you want him to contribute and he's, you know, quasi wide receiver three wide receiver four for them right now. Um, but you know, I just think he's a great kind of like Swiss army knife weapon to like have in the wide receiver room. Uh, you can use him on some of the screens. You can use him in the deep game. You can use him in the intermediate. Um, and you know. Uh, you can also just get really good value out of uh, Juju Smith-Schuster probably this year, you know, coming back from injury on a, he's on a one-year deal, right? Yeah. It's like one year, $5 yeah. million dollars or something cheap. Like right. That. So, you know, Juju has a, you know, kind of like rebound season with Patrick Mahomes, right? Um, you get a comp pick out of him. You let him walk. You kind of promote Sky more next year to wide receiver two or, or something like that. Right. Like, I think that's kind of, what they're aiming for a little bit uh is valdez gantling also a one year or is he no he's on a big deal he's like oh yeah three years 40 million dollars or something like that i didn't know that was that high um but yeah no i I definitely think you look at that and you're like okay they're kind of they are kind of kind of build this around marquez valdez scanling and sky Moore uh going forward after this year of juju um and you know with patrick mahomes and the way that he he could throw it all over the field like it's 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 hard to not like that yeah so the contract for mvs is three for 30 still okay. about the same about the oh. same per you know but yeah three for 30 is uh a lot, a lot for him for a guy who oh, isn't let's, really let's hope uh fingers crossed Jalen guy and gets that somewhere else <laughs> yeah see there you go maybe he can join the <laughs> right. team um but yeah like like alex says sky Moore just a swiss army knife now you have you do have someone you can move. You have to keep track of with Travis Kelsey. And he's also a guy that ran a 4-4-1, you know, tested 92nd percentile or whatever in the speed category. No, he's not Tyreek Hill. He will never be Tyreek Hill. But I think he'll always be a good, solid option you can move all over, which is frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll we'll keep some tabs on this. Uh, you know, I was going to say earlier, but um, we always like to, you know, interview some beat writers from these teams and kind of get their thoughts on that. But uh, you know, as draft nerds ourselves, we got to give some of our thoughts here. So 
Tyler, mm-hmm. let's get to the next one. Uh, the Raiders draft. Obviously, they did not have oh, I got pressure. a ton of capital uh, after trading for Devontae Adams. So uh, their first pick in the draft was Dylan Parham, the offensive lineman from Memphis. Then they traded up one spot in front of the Chargers to get Zamir White, the running back from Georgia. Also took Neil Farrell, the defensive tackle from LSU. Matthew Butler, the defensive tackle from Tennessee. And then rounded it out in the seventh round with Thayer Munford, the offensive lineman from Ohio State, and Britton Brown, the running back from – where is he from? UCLA. UCLA. Okay, so they drafted two running backs, two guards, yeah. and two defensive tackles. So, uh, Tyler, <laughs> we'll start with you, man. Uh, how do you feel about this? And also, how does your dad feel about this? I think he feels pretty good about it. He's always big about building in the trenches, so I completely understand why he'd like this group. And, and to be honest – it's a bit hit or miss for me because Dylan Parham, Neil Farrell Jr., Matthew Butler really, really like those picks. Like based on where they got these guys and what they're able to do with them, this is a very, very solid trio of interior guys for them. Didn't watch Munford, so I couldn't say anything about him. Um, but yeah, we really like Neil Farrell Jr. You know, I, I think at, at Butler as well. Farrell Jr., I think more of your no tackle run stuffer. Butler more your your pass rusher, I guess, if you had to pick. And they were first and fifth on our composite rankings. Um, you know, part of the reason Ogbonio was a bit, you know, questionable is because he was dead last on our interior defensive lineman composite rankings. Many other reasons to like him, but just pure stats based. You know, the Raiders got a guy that was first and fifth on those. Parham was sixth, I believe, on our composite rankings. Really like those three guys. It just, it, it kind of deviates from me on the misses, which to me is like Zemir White, another running yeah. back. You have, like, I get that they're moving on from Josh Jacobs at some point, but Zemir White, I guess in the fourth round, it's not the worst thing giving like his physical profile, but this is a guy who is purely a runner for George. Like he, he was literally the runner for Georgia where cook was the more of the receiver. And I, I just don't know if taking him at that point uh, was the best option to me. It's less though about the players they did take because I like Parm, I like Farrell Jr. I like Butler. It's the fact that there's no secondary players on here at all. Yeah. And I don't know other than I love Trayvon Merrick, but there's not a lot in the Raiders secondary that I'm, I'm really, really, you know, worried about if I'm calling plays on offense and they went all trenches and running backs and which is, you know, Hey, good players here for sure. But they neglected the secondary sort of like the chargers did. Well, I can know they had Santa Samuel jr. I don't know. Like Tom Telesco typically does. I'm just surprised they didn't go with more corners, more safeties here, really anything else on defense. Uh, you know, Parham will start, Farrell Jr. Butler will rotate, but this, that's I think Parham is really your only starter here. Yeah, you know, I like where they got Farrell. I like where they got Butler. I, I like Thayer Mumford as somebody, you know, he's yeah, probably a career backup offensive lineman, but he played tackle at Ohio State. He played guard, um, you know, has that, you know, size and length profile that you like. I, I liked Parham, but you traded up for a running back, man, like <laughs> – you have Josh Jacobs. You have Kenyon Drake, who you paid a decent-sized contract to. That's something I, I personally will never get behind. And, and I know running backs definitely matter. I'm definitely not saying that running backs do not matter. But trading up for a running back is poor value, poor roster decision-making, in my opinion. And then you draft another one later in the seventh round. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I just it, it leaves a lot of meat on the bone, even though I like a lot of these players. But they don't have, like Tyler's saying, the secondary is atrocious their right tackle situation is even worse, you know. So they needed defensive tackles. They needed guards. I totally get it. But they also need somebody to defend the pass. 
They also need some linebacker upgrades. So I, I like some of these players, but I, I think the the process that they went about it with is is kind of bad. And, and as your dad points out, they could certainly still sign James Bradbury. Even that, like, they still need more corners. <laughs> like, they need more right. than just James Bradbury and Rock Yassin. So, you know, it is what it is. But I like the players. I just don't like the process. Yeah, I mean, I think when talking about, like, this Raiders draft, you obviously have to price the Devontae Adams thing into it, right? Sure. Like, uh, same with what we'll talk about with the Broncos and obviously acquiring Russell Wilson and using that capital to go do that. Um, so, I mean, getting the best wide receiver in the league in the same way that Chargers fans talk about uh, Khalil Mack, obviously kind of with our second round pick, so to speak, um, you know, that's obviously something to, to kind of note. Um, this is just a weird class in general. Like Neil Farrell and Matthew Butler are different kinds of tackles, right? But like, I do feel like the picks are a little bit redundant back to back. Um, and then... Zamir White and Britton Brown in a spot where Zamir White, as much shit as I give the Isaiah Spiller pick, Zamir White was not close to the best running back on the board. Um, so and they traded I, up to get him. Yeah, and they and they traded up to get him. So like that's a pretty negative draft grade in general. Like it, it would be one thing if you took Isaiah Spiller with that pick and, and took the best running back on the board at that point. Um, but taking Zamir White is just uh, really questionable in my opinion. But then again. Um, I, they're all about kind of, they've been about using high capital on running backs and specifically the running backs they like as with the original Josh Jacobs pick, but taking two running backs after turning down the option on Josh Jacobs was just weird. Like I understand why they did it. Um, but just not where I think they needed to go. I think they needed to go in the secondary. Um, and yeah, no, I, like I do generally like their trench picks. I, thought that the running backs could have been handled a little bit better. Obviously we knew they were going to take a running back at some point after turning down Josh Jacobs, but um, just a really confusing class as a whole, based on the fact that they really only decided to take three positions with six picks um, for a defense that needs quite a bit of help at this point, right? Like your offense kind of needs less help than your defense, especially after acquiring Devonte Adams and four of the six, or no, not four of the six, six of the six picks, or sorry, no, no, four of the six picks were offense, two were defense. Um, just a really weird draft in general. So I, I kind of, I don't know what grade I would give it, probably like a C, C minus. Like that's sort of how I'm feeling. And obviously you priced the Monte Adams thing in here, but just yeah. the players that they got here are really weird fits. So I'm, I'm curious to see at this point what, Josh McDaniels and the, and the crew over there are kind of thinking. Yeah. Like Derek points out in the chat, it's not like they didn't have any crazy reaches, uh, you know, like they usually do with Alex Leatherwood or uh, right. the corner from Ohio State, Damon Arnett. But I, I just think that the process was overall kind yeah. of weird. And just to, just to clarify here, because there's some questions in the chat, um, Todd Graham, their defensive or not Todd Graham, that's the Arizona State guy. What's Patrick. his first name? Patrick Graham. Patrick Graham. Thank you. Patrick Graham comes from the Giants, comes from the Patriots. They are going to be doing a 3-4 kind of scheme, uh, very similar to the Chargers, lots of too high stuff, lots of odd fronts. So um, the, the Raiders are not a 4-3 defense anymore. They're not running Gus Bradley stuff. They will be running Giants, Patriots, very similar mix-and-match coverage right. teams. So uh, the defense is going to change very drastically from what they had with Gus Bradley. 
Right, and it's just like they want to run a 3-4 and they want to do some too high Staley stuff and they don't have the tools to run it, right? Like that's, you know, and that was sort of some of the growing pains of Staley's first year anyway, you know, where he's like, well, Michael Davis is kind of my best corner and I have to go with that in terms of this defense before he could acquire J.C. Jackson and make all these things work um, and get all that defensive talent. But right now the Raiders aren't even close to where the Chargers were last year, I think, in the secondary. And you're going to be asking more of those players who flopped in the secondary last year without taking any picks in the draft. So I, I think that's also something that you kind of have to, um, you know, grade against them if you if you are trying to decide on a letter grade or something. Yeah. I do hate that they ended up with Farrell and Butler, man. Those are two of my that's guys. True. That's mm-hmm. true. But, uh, you know, it's going to be a struggle for them, you know, right away to stop the run. And like I said the other day, their defense, it's a Chandler Jones injury away from being the worst defense in the league, in my opinion. Of course, that could change if they get James Bradbury or somebody like that to kind of come in and, and shore things up a little bit. But it, it's going to be tough for them to stop teams, especially in the AFC West. So, uh, Tyler, let's get to the Broncos, and then we'll talk about some schedule and uh, roster and uh, record predictions. So, um, Broncos ended up going, again, trading for Russell Wilson, so they did not have a ton of early draft capital. Ended up with the edge rusher, Nick Bonito, from Oklahoma. Greg Dulcich, the tight end from UCLA. Damari Mathis, one of my guys, they listed him as a safety, kind of a corner DB hybrid uh, from Pittsburgh. Oyema Uzurike from Iowa State. Absolutely hated that one. <laughs> and then Delarin Turner-Yell, the safety from Oklahoma. Montreal Washington, the receiver from Samford. Luke Wattenberg, the center from Washington. Matt Hennison, the defensive lineman from Wisconsin. And then Fayon Hicks, another Wisconsin Badger pick. So uh, Uzi Rike definitely hurt. It was somebody I really, really wanted on the Chargers. So I think that's a really good pick. I really liked Mathis. I really liked Bonito. Really liked Dulcich. So I think their first four picks for me are successes. I, I like the fits of each of them. Uh, these other guys, I didn't grade a whole lot of them. I mean, they took a receiver from Samford in round five. So uh, I, the Broncos draft class is a is a mixed bag for me because I think those those four those first four picks are, are really really solid players, but the back half I'm just I, I struggle to see the vision there. Yeah, um, I I love the first four picks for them. I mean, this is to me, you know, if we're trying to kind of price the Chargers into this, this is like the second or third best class in the AFC West. I have Raiders dead last, um, you know, based on what they did. But you gotta love the first four picks here uh, in terms of what Benito brings off the edge. Uh, getting a Wuzurike for for pass rush as well, uh, and then getting a real instant contributor like uh, Greg Dolchich, who many people argue is is tight end one. I think he's he's close to it, uh, and as a receiver, even though he needs to work on his blocking, um, he's just going to give you instant day one impact, especially now with Russell Wilson. Uh, so you know, obviously, like I just said with Devonte Adams, we're pricing that in there too. You know, using basically your first round pick for uh, Russell Wilson, right, and then the other picks that they did trade. Um, but yeah, after that, they do kind of go off the board. Uh, Montreal, Washington over Bo Melton is a choice. That, that's a choice. They, <laughs> they decided to do that. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, when we get to rounds five, six and seven in particular, it's kind of a crapshoot anyway. Right. Uh, that's why the Chargers kind of went with Dean Leonard and, and guys that they liked as opposed to what the consensus board was saying, right. Necessarily at the time. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see how those guys pan out, but I think any draft where you feel like you have four or, or you 
feel confident that you have three or four immediate starters, maybe guys who end up starting for four or five years for your team at the very least. Um, that's a draft that I think you have to walk away feeling very good from. And then, of course, um, it, you know, some of this draft will be determined by whether Russell Wilson and, and that experiment is uh, a success or failure in the long term as well. Um, but obviously, Russell Wilson is a massive upgrade over Drew Locke. Yeah, this this is almost an impossible draft for me to grade overall because some of these guys, I just don't. I didn't even know who they were and I did not grade them. Yeah. Which I guess that could go into the evaluation, but that's not really fair. Uh, but yeah, Uyoma Uwazarike getting drafted by them really sucks. That's just a pain. Nick Benito being drafted by them. Not quite, but sort of the same as Drake Jackson going to the 49ers. Just the Broncos getting anyone on defense to me always is annoying because they just <laughs> tend to churn out you know, these yeah. interior defensive linemen. They're not really linebacker, but DBs, edge rushers, safety. You know, it's just like, ugh. You know, more more guys to go up against in Denver and watch beat up on Senor Kelamete. That sucks. Oh, he's not on the team anymore. But uh, again, I don't know. I don't know the other half of this group. I will say, if we're looking at the value again, the Broncos are dead last on this one, and like fifth worst on this one in terms of how you know how much they reached on guys compared to the consensus board. So I guess that's something we have going for us. I think just reading kind of some updates on the, the Broncos class. It does feel like they like these players, but there was a lot of reaches in this class. So I know a lot of Broncos fans aren't super thrilled with some of the reaches, but you know, again, I haven't watched most of these guys. So it's hard to give them any kind of grade, but Benito, I like, and Dulcich, I didn't watch Mathis. Uwazirike is great. So the players that I know, good to great. Uh, Wattenberg had the worst center snap I've ever seen. <laughs> he was uh, so bad. It was, and he was pretty awful to watch, yeah. but you know, they made miners work and I do think miners is a lot better than Wattenberg. So well, I mean, let's, let's talk about which offensive line coach they don't have anymore. True. Mike True. Munchak, arguably the best yeah. offensive line coach outside of Dante Scarnecchia in the last 20 years. Fair enough. Well, Wattenberg, good luck. I hope to you snap <laughs> it into the field goal post like you did on one play almost. Yeah, so I, I think this draft class, like I, I like the players, like, like I said, the, the first four at least, but I struggle to see like starting roles for many of them. You know, Nick Bonito is going to be a situational pass rusher right away, and he can certainly have value in that role. You know, get you thirty pressures and, and five, six, seven sacks. Like, I think I think that's a good pick, but you know, Greg Dulcich is the same kind of thing. He is going to be a backup. Russell Wilson has also never really targeted tight ends at a high level, as uh, Gerald Everett found out last year. Damari Mathis, they list him as a safety, which if that's the case, he's going to be behind Kareem Jackson and Justin, Justin Simmons at minimum. And, you know, they like Caden Stearns. Apparently they drafted a couple of years ago. So is he a fourth, is your, is he your fourth safety or is he your big nickel corner? I think Awuzarike probably starts. You know, they have an opening at that three tech role that uh, Shelby Harris left. So, is that your one starter from this draft class? Maybe you're counting the receiver who's going to be their main returner. I don't know. So, I, I think I like it, but I, I kind of question who's a starter from this class right away. Is that even, do they have any starters in 2023? So, it, it just is kind of odd to me overall. Who's yeah. the starting tight end for Denver right now? 
It's Albert. Uh, Albert O. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not even gonna try. Albert O. Oh, oh yeah, I don't know how to say it either. Um, but yeah, I, I think the reason that I like both the Chiefs and the Chargers class is a little bit more than this one. Um, I think it's close, but like Steven said, I think the immediate starters that you kind of get from both the Chargers and the Chiefs drafts, and I think how they fit in and what their role is, right? Like, I think you can look at every player that the Chiefs drafted, or at least most of them, and go, okay, this guy is going to be here to do this, right? Versus, like, you know, Nick Benito, obviously kind of very high-ceiling guy, but how is he going to start out, right? And, and Steven talks about the use of Russell Wilson with tight ends with Dolchich um, versus Sky Moore is just a much easier fit, like, by comparison um, into that Chiefs offense. So, um Curious to see how it goes. Uh, probably my third favorite draft class, I guess, of the AFC West. Definitely better than the Raiders, though. <laughs> I don't know. I I do like the Raiders class, though. Based on what the Raiders have, have clear starters. Like that's the thing. Like, yeah, Barnes going to start. Butler and right. um, Carroll will start for them. I think you could argue that Mumford potentially beats out somebody for like a left guard spot, maybe a right tackle spot. I don't know, but they got they got three surefire starters for me. Yeah, but they also took two running backs. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't trade it up for that's one. True. Like, that's true. This draft, at least, they think had a little bit more. Well, the Broncos took a, a tight end. Technology. Like That's almost as invaluable. Mm, well, Dolchich also wasn't as much of a reach as Zemir White was at that point. I, that's what I would think I'd counter that with. But, I mean, I, I get the points, but I still think I'd like this one quite a bit better than the Raiders one. Yeah, it's a mix for me on the last two. I do think Chiefs number one, Chargers number two. And I just don't know if about the Broncos class to even know if I think they're better or worse. Do they find better value? I really don't know. Technically, based on the consensus, they didn't find better value. So to yeah. me, it's just it's just some tie, I guess, for third with the Broncos and, and Raiders right now. I think that's fair. I think that's kind of where I land. I would have it Chiefs one, Chargers two, Broncos three A and Raiders three B. I don't know. I, I think that's kind of a fair distinction because... Like I said, like I think I like the Broncos process better, at least in terms of like the players that they took. They took an edge rusher. They take a, a pass rushing defensive tackle. They take a, a tight end, a, a safety who can impact maybe a corner. The Raiders maybe had a poorer process, but they got more starters. So I think calling that a 3A, 3B situation feels fair to me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. So we'll move on here now and talk about some of the schedules for these team, these teams, excuse me, and then we'll uh, wrap it up with some uh, record predictions. So we'll start with the Chiefs here. Uh, have a brutal start to the season <laughs> opening at the Cardinals, hosting the Chargers at Colts, at Buccaneers, home against the Raiders, home against the Bills, at the 49ers, all before their bye week in week eight. So they share a bye with the Chargers week nine mm-hmm. after the bye week, hosting the Tennessee Titans. Then they host the Jaguars, then they travel to LA for the Chargers, host the Rams at the Bengals, at the Broncos, at the Texans, home against the Seahawks home against the Broncos, and then they wrap it up at the Las Vegas Raiders. So, Alex, what stands out to you at first glance about the Chiefs' schedule? I think this is a really hard schedule. I mean, obviously, you you look at those first uh, eight, nine games, and you're like, okay. You know, at the same time, though, I think that almost kind of works into their favor a little bit because I think it makes it a little, like, less likely they slump out the gate because the pressure is immediately on with, you know, Cardinals, Chargers, Colts, Bucks, Raiders, right? Like, and the Bills, just because I think the pressure is out the gate so much with that stuff. Like, I don't know if it's as likely that they have like a one in three or a two and four kind of start like they did last year. Sure. Obviously they, they like, you know, we'll try to kind of figure out their offense, but uh, I do worry that the back half of their schedule is a little light, right? Like, obviously, you still have to play the Chargers, Rams, and Bengals, so it's it's no cakewalk. Um, but, you know, you, you get the Jags, you get the Broncos, uh, you know, you, the, they'll probably at the very least split with the Broncos, and then you get Texans, Seahawks, Raiders, um, which, I mean, to me, are very winnable games for them. Uh, and, uh, you know, Arjun has pointed out how good Mahomes is in particular in September, right? And how that Andy Reid offense tends to cook. I guess it was a little bit off last year relative to uh, yeah. what the past has been. But, you know, I think ultimately the Chiefs are still the favorites for the division. I know people don't want to hear that, and I know we want to annoy the Chargers. Uh, but despite this schedule and despite how hard it is, uh, I, I think the Chiefs separate themselves as a pretty clear divisional favorite. I disagree. I have the Chargers. I switched. I switched up them to twelve and five, and do have them ahead of the Chiefs, which I've done the last fourteen years. But whatever. <laughs> uh, so let me go myself. That's how you uh, know it's May. Exactly. Uh, I think what stands out to me here is they get the Cardinals very early, where the Chargers do not, which means DeAndre Hopkins will be back for the Chargers yeah. game, not for the Chiefs game. Um, and the Cardinals, you know, their draft class was, you know, Trey McBride, who I like, but they just signed Zach Ertz. Or they just re-added Zach Ertz, which I don't really get. Cam Thomas. Cardinals have had such a weird offseason. Yeah. And then who knows if Kyler Murray is even going to be playing or on a contract or deleting his social media or whatever. Um, (laughs) I assume it'll be fine, but you never know. Uh, But then, you know, the Cardinals, who who knows? Uh, The Chargers need to put this away before week, like, 12. Because if they roll into that, maybe week 13. Because if they roll to their last five games are Denver, which is a lot more challenging than usual. But it hasn't been for the Chiefs when they played the Broncos. Granted, yes, different quarterback. 
Broncos, Texans, Seahawks, Broncos, Raiders. Like that could be five and zero. Oh. Whatever their char- Chargers and Chiefs record is at Week Thirteen, like that might just be it because the Chiefs are just going to win for the next five. I think three at worst, but I think they really could go five and zero oh here. And that's a that's a really. I mean, again, they start difficult. Buccaneers, Chargers don't have to play the Buccaneers. That sucks. Chargers don't have to play the Bills. That sucks for them. But man, if the Chiefs can just hang in there. And listen, I know they have a big rookie class coming in. They're going to rely on their rookies quite a bit. Yeah. Like Bolton, Smith, Humphrey. Again, maybe more, not easier positions. Very good prospects, I guess, at least in terms of the offensive line than just linebacker. Like, there's a lot of good players they just drafted, and the Chiefs just got three guys last year who instantly contributed and, and were one of the better guys at their positions. And so now you have guys that we really love, and they just plug in seven legit B-plus grade kind of guys. They could be very tough. So the Cardinals game is huge. I, I need them to lose to the Bucks and the Bills here. Yeah, I think you know their schedule is kind of the opposite of the Chargers, where they they end with you know a little bit of an easier stretch. But you know, I do think you know we'll get to him in a second. But you know, Russell Wilson's saving grace in the division is that the Chiefs do not do much split safety look stuff. They do a lot of cover one, a lot of cover three, and Russ has done much better against those looks than cover two and cover four and quarters. So. Um, I, I do think that the Broncos could split against the Chiefs kind of at minimum. So I, I would expect the Chiefs to kind of end four and one, if you will, in those last five games. But yeah, depending if they need to rest play starters or rest starters at Las Vegas, you know, we'll see there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that opening schedule, man, like Tennessee, probably the worst team in that group, you know, at least on paper. And, you know, I know the Cardinals had their issues, but they still have Kyler. You can still make things interesting. I do think the Chiefs, from the Chiefs' perspective, you're kind of looking to start probably four and three, like kind of worst case scenario. Like I do think that mm-hmm. they would lose to the Bills. I think I think that the Chargers will beat them in week two. And then I think the Buccaneers will beat them. So I, I think the Chiefs will start four and three. I'm not super worried about the Niners from their perspective because the Chiefs can match their defensive trenches with their own offensive trenches. Um, they should beat the Titans. They definitely should beat the Jaguars. Probably split Rams and Bengals. So I, I think you're looking in a very similar record range as the Chargers. 11 and 6, 12 and 5 is probably where I'll end up at some point. Yeah, I have them. I saw if we're doing record predictions, I have them at 11 and 6, Chargers 12 and 5. But a lot of it hinges like the Chargers really need to win at Denver. That would be a huge. Yeah. division i mean it, it will be because it's week 18 but that has been the game or one of the games that always keeps them just outside of first place or making the playoffs or whatever that's a huge game so i, I do have the chargers winning 12 games i do think they're the more complete team overall and if not the best quarterback the second best quarterback so uh, I, but again the chiefs aren't going anywhere they're going to be 11 and 6 wouldn't surprise me if they got more wins um yeah no i mean i like tyler said i've just kind of seen the same song and dance before and this year in some ways does feel different but uh you know like patrick Mahomes said i'll see it when i believe it right you know we've seen we've seen the chargers you know be the team that's like gonna take over the division now and you know patrick Mahomes and andy reader are still here um so i i just think that that you know the tyree kill thing they'll have to adapt to that particularly in the early part of the season uh, in terms of figuring out their offense, but I think they're more than capable of doing it. They've shown they're capable of doing it. Need to see it from the Chargers. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that they the Chargers' second matchup against the Chiefs doesn't come in the back half of the season, like like one of the last four or five games, because I expect them to be yeah a complete buzzsaw by the time that they play, you know, like the Texans and Seahawks in December. So, mm-hmm. um, I think uh, I don't know. We'll we'll do final record predictions at the end, but let's move on okay. to the Bron- Raiders. Okay, we'll talk about the Raiders. Um, obviously, open at the chargers so they are they going down or are they going across across okay so week two against the cardinals week three at the tennessee titans then they host the broncos at the chiefs they get their bye week pretty early in week six host the texans at the saints at jaguars host colts at broncos at seahawks host the chargers at rams host the patriots at steelers host Niners, and then they wrap up the season again, hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Tyler, uh, what do you make of the Raiders' schedule? It's always tough with the Raiders because they are the most sweepable team, I think, of the AFC West teams right now. Also, just because we don't know a whole lot about them. New scheme, new regime, all that sort of stuff. I do think they're the most sweepable. To me, it just comes down to, do I think their offense can score more points than the other offense? because it's really not going to come down to defense for some of these, or if it does, or if the two offenses are equal, who has the better defense? So there's just a lot of swing games in here for me, and a lot of things I just don't know how it's going to go. Again, they get the Cardinals early as well, another game without DeAndre Hopkins, so we'll see about that. Um, Titans one is big. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to predict. Well, I predicted their record, and we'll see how that goes. Now, last year I said they wouldn't win shit, and they ended up knocking the Chargers out of the postseason. So, again, we yeah. never really do know. But I just feel like, I don't know, like how many games can their offense win? The thing about the Raiders, though, and what they did last year so well, is they were able, I believe they swept the Broncos. Again, different teams. I get it. But they have been more successful in Denver than the Chargers. So that's huge. On the flip side, the Chargers have been more successful in Kansas City than the Raiders. Raiders just always getting swept by Kansas City these days. I don't know. A lot of these games are a toss up and that's why their record for me is so close to 500. There's just, there's no 500. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. That that sucked for the last two years. Uh, but no, I, I think this is actually a very similar schedule. We'll see the chargers, um, in a lot of ways, obviously they, they play the chargers week one. Uh, but like the chargers, I, the chargers have three divisional games in the first five or six as well. Uh, so, I mean, very high stakes from the jump in that regard. Then they get a little bit of a lull with Texan Saints, Jaguars, right? Uh, and then the second half kicks back up for them, right? With Colts, Broncos, Chargers, you know, Rams, Patriots. I mean, obviously these teams have very similar schedules, but I think if you're comparing this to the Chiefs schedule, the Broncos schedule, this is actually kind of the most similar one to the Chargers. Um, for me, this just comes down to, you know, how hot can that Raiders offense be out the gate, you know, kind of building off of what they did last year, obviously a complete, you know, not a completely new offensive system because you just saw him Derek Carr in place. Um, but Josh McDaniels is going to be, you know, a lot different than John Gruden uh, in terms of what they're running yeah. there. So I'm, I'm very curious to see, you know, just how he starts um, from the jump as a play caller uh, and, you know, how they're kind of going to get this on the road because they they need to have offense. I mean, as much as possible in those first, uh, you know, really up towards the bye uh, to kind of stay above water. Otherwise, you could sort of start to see it get a little bit ugly with like a not 0-5, but like a 1-4, 2-3 start compared to where the Raiders like really want to be. Um, if that offense isn't, you know, cook- or clicking as much as it should early on in the year with uh, all the coaching staff changes. So, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think that, the, you know, the Raiders are going to go as far as their offense goes because, you know, their, their defense is how it is. Uh, but so that makes it really important for them to start out hot at the beginning of the year. Yeah, it really does. I think that their five game, their opening five games is, is really difficult, man. And I think you know, I said on our initial schedule show, like, frankly, I'd be pretty surprised if the Chargers lost to the Raiders week one, given everything that happened uh, to end the season and then what the Chargers did. But I think they should be the Cardinals probably lose to the Titans. I think that's a really difficult match matchup for them get Derrick Henry at his best probably. And then you have to face Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry and Bud Dupree with the bad offensive line. You know, maybe you beat Denver at home and then you lose to Kansas city on the road. So you're talking about a two and three start in my opinion. And then it kind of gets easier for them, right? You Houston Jaguars, Seahawks, you know, in that same kind of stretch, the, the saints should be probably better than they were last year, but you know, certainly not, you know, world beaters. Then you Chargers, Rams, Patriots, Steelers. They seemingly play always pretty – they seemingly play the Steelers pretty well. And then, you know, I think they'll lose to the Niners. So we'll see, man. But that's that's a decently difficult schedule. And they got second place in the division, so they get all the second place teams. So I think – and I have said this. I think the Raiders will miss the playoffs, and I think some of that is the schedule – some of that is the defensive overhaul, which we all saw how difficult it was to go from a Gus Bradley scheme to a very multiple scheme last year with the Chargers. So I think the Raiders will struggle this year, man. And the, the schedule is certainly part of that. Yeah, looking at the um, strength of again, strength of schedule doesn't really matter because it's all new teams, but they do are they are right behind the Chiefs. Again, second in the division, but the yeah. seventh hardest schedule in the NFL this year. All right, let's uh, wrap this up with the Broncos, and then we'll do some uh, record predictions. So the <laughs> so typical of the NFL, man, you make Russ go back to Seattle in week <laughs> one because you're terrified that the Seahawks will be awful. So uh, you get the Seahawks, the Texans, Niners, Raiders uh, to open, you know, the schedule, if you will. And then you Colts, Chargers, Jets, Jaguars. So they got last place in the division, so they get all the easy guys, of course. <laughs> Um, they have a week nine by and then Titans, Raiders, Panthers, Ravens, Chiefs, Cardinals, Rams, Chiefs, Chargers. So I think this is a pretty manageable schedule that the NFL gave the yeah. Broncos specifically to open the season. Um, I think they'll lose to the Niners. I think they'll probably lose to us at home. But mm -hmm. other than that, I have a kind of a tough time seeing that opening schedule being super difficult for them. However, those last five games, man, that's a pretty last yeah. six games really is a pretty difficult stretch at the Ravens home against the Chiefs home against the Cardinals at the Rams uh, at the Chiefs and then home against the Chargers. So this is a really interesting schedule this is kind of the opposite of the Chargers where you get or very similar to the Chargers, I should say, where mm -hmm. you get easy to open and then very difficult to close. So this is it's going to be interesting because they're doing. They're switching defenses, but it's the same Vic Vangio principles that uh, Ejiro uh, Evero is going to bring in. He's a former Rams secondary coach. So there's not going to be a ton of scheme change on defense. Obviously, losing Vic Vangio is very, very significant. I mentioned the loss of Mike Munchak on offense being significant. And, you know, just this meshing of minds on offense between Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett, a first-time head coach. So... There's a lot of 
new on offense, not a lot of new on defense, and then you get an easy schedule. So the Broncos could certainly, you know, start hot out of the gate again, just like they did last year. Yeah, I agree. They had, again, a lot of new, not as well. I don't think it's as much new as the Raiders. I think just because you keep that same defensive thing, and that really was their strength, and they are very talented there. I think that'll keep them in games. It's really just the easy record or easy schedule. Not that there's not hard games on here. Like you said, that last six is brutal, but they get to play the Panthers. They get to play the Jets. Yeah. You know, and there, there are games like that, and they open with Seahawks, Houston. They should be 2-0 and to start the season, no problem. Um, you know, I, I have them, I think, splitting the AFC West three and three, or maybe two and four if the Chiefs sweep them, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I think they, I think they can easily go three and three. And, you know, maybe I think that they can win as many games as the Chiefs. But I, again, like you said, too much new for me to be able to say, okay, yeah, they're going to be the best team in the AFC West. Yeah, no, that that week one game is just weird how they've set that up because that's Joe Buck and Troy Aikman's first game on ESPN, too. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be Drew Locke revenge game. Also, <laughs> Russell Wilson's homecoming. So a lot of a lot of things going on there um, in terms of their schedule. I think it's probably on paper the easiest AFC yeah. West schedule. I'm sure yeah, that plays out with strength of schedule as well. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, they're playing the Seahawks. You know, they're playing the Texans the first two weeks. But then you kind of get into, like, dicey territory with, like, what are the Jets by week seven, right? Like, we just kind of credited them with having one of the better drafts uh, in the league. Uh, then what are the Jaguars going to be this year? Does Trevor Lawrence take a step forward? Um, now they have an actual human football coach. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, like, they could. And improve. that game's in London. And yeah, and the always weird things happen in London. Urban Meyer won a game in London. It's yeah, like, true. you know, so, so, you know, he didn't win many in the NFL and that's the one time he wants. So uh, that's kind of a weird game in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, really the Broncos go as far as Russ goes, right? If Russ right. starts to so, show you some signs of regression early on, then, you know, kind of like Arjun's been posting about with Russ versus, you know, two high safety looks then, you know, you could sort of start to see this get a little bit uh, hairy, you know, for the Broncos fairly quickly. But if Russell Wilson is still not prime Russell Wilson, but the Russell Wilson that we've come to know recently, then, you know, they should make pretty good do uh, in those games before the bye. Yeah, I, I really agree there. And I think, you know, the, the, the thing with the Broncos right now is like – how much do you really trust Russ and the weapons? You know, J.J. of course got arrested recently. You know, Cortland mm -hmm. Sutton wasn't necessarily himself this past season. I think they mm -hmm. like Albert O, but really, how much better is he than mm -hmm. Noah Fant? And like, I know for sure they don't have anybody better than DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Right. So it's just a really interesting group of pieces. I think from Russ's standpoint, you probably are in a better system than what you've spent most of your time in seattle with but like you don't i don't even think you have a, a chris carson kind of player because you're splitting carries with melvin gordon and javante williams so it's just kind of a weird blend for me overall on offense which is kind of how i feel about their draft but i mean it is russ he is definitely better than drew lock or anything that they've had since peyton manning retired so it's going to be interesting but i think you have a difficult enough stretch down the uh in those last six games to kind of see a world where the Broncos miss the playoffs. Yeah, not to go too far back into the rest stuff before we do our predictions, but 
like you said, with his weapons, you could sort of start to see this being an offense that becomes a little bit more let Russ cook uh, at points during the season where he has to manufacture a lot of that offense for himself as opposed to having like a DK Metcalf or a Tyler Lockett. Obviously, he's going to make plays, uh, you know, with his legs by um, I, I think with how they're sort of set up at the skill positions right now, I think you could sort of start to see this become an offense where Russ maybe tries to do a little too much at points. Tyler, any final thoughts about the Broncos? Nope. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Um, okay. So we'll uh, wrap it up with our record predictions here. Of course, we each did. Uh, our Chargers record prediction predictions uh, last week, although it kind of sounds like Tyler has changed his. So uh, you guys here in the chat, let us know what you think uh, in terms of record predictions for the Chargers, Chiefs, Raiders, and Broncos. Um, and we'll go, we'll each give uh, our four first. So uh, Tyler, you want to kick us off here? Yeah. So I really believe in all the teams that are here to a certain extent, not to make the postseason by any means, but there's no real bad team here. There's no Jacksonville. There's no Jets, although the Jets could be on the up and up. So I have the Chargers at 12 and 5 leading it, then the Chiefs at 11 and 6. Then I have the Broncos at 10 and 7, mostly because of that schedule being so easy. And then conversely, with the Raiders' schedule being so difficult and just so much turnover. And it, until they add more secondary pieces, I have them going 7 and 10. Yeah, um, I've flip-flopped on the Raiders and Broncos a lot. Um, but after seeing that Raiders schedule and after seeing the Raiders draft and after seeing Josh McDaniels, uh, I'm probably going to put the Broncos back in third place, even though I do kind of still believe in rust regression as a real thing. Uh, so I, I get, well, I don't agree with the order because I do still think the Chiefs are winning the division, but I, I will have the Chiefs at 12 and five in first place. The Chargers at 11 and six in second Broncos, let's say 10 and 7, third, and the Raiders probably 8, 9, 9 or 8. Wow, very similar, I guess, uh, record wise. Although 7 and 10, I'm, I'm that's uh, that's an interesting one, making me think a little bit here about the Raiders. Uh, I, could I, I said they would go 2 and 15 last year, so I wouldn't <laughs> talk into what I say. Well, you know, I, I think the way that like these picks work in general is whenever there's a really good division, you want to be like, Oh, well, all these teams are going to finish over 500 or maybe the Raiders will just be eight, nine, but it's like, these teams are going to beat up on each other. And if the Raiders yeah. you know, have start That's slow or something happens, then you could really see them going six and 11 or seven and 10 or whichever one of these teams you think is the worst out of these four um, because of how the chiefs and Chargers and everyone's going to beat up on each other. You could just see it getting yeah. going bad quick for a team. Yeah, the problem for me with the Raiders is they just get demolished by the Chiefs. Like, there's nothing close last year. And, yeah, they improved, but the Chiefs demolished the Raiders consistently at this point. So it's hard for me to say that they're anything other than swept by the Chiefs. Yeah, and I think, like, they're, they've improved on offense for sure. And, you know, they'll score more points. But uh, it's hard for me to look at what they did on defense last year. I mean, they had all of Gus's guys. And now you switch to the complete opposite scheme. You lose a lot of players that were good for you, didn't really replace any of them. So defensively, like I think they're going to be in a similar transition for what the Chargers were. I mean, we all expected the Chargers defense to be better than it was. And I would argue that, you know, last year's Chargers roster defensively was better than what the Raiders have right now. And I don't think it would be particularly close. So. I think for me, the order is is definitely Raiders last, Broncos third, 
Chiefs second, Chargers first. And then like I, I, I like I get it's May, and I totally understand where Alex is coming from. And I, I have been in that place myself so often. But I just look at the rise that Justin Herbert has been on and what they did to support him on defense. Like I, I think this is the year where we see the Chargers kind of take back the division. And I think it's a it's just different for me than what we've seen with Phillip Rivers and last year, even with you know the, all the holes on defense. So I have the Chargers going 12 and 5. I'm gonna stick by that until you know we until anything awful happens, if anything awful happens. Um, I'll say the Chiefs go eleven and six. And then I'm actually going to have the Broncos down at nine and eight and then the Raiders at seven and 10 as well. So I'm going to rich Eisen has the Raiders winning the division. Holy yeah. shit. And then Chiefs yeah. not making it, I think he has the chiefs not making it. Yeah. I think it was like Raiders Broncos chargers or something like that. What in the hell? I don't even think he believes that though. Like how, why would you say something like that? <laughs> he must I, just really like Derek Carr and Devonte Adams, I guess. I don't know. Weirdo. Uh, but yeah, so I think I'm on the same page as Tyler in terms of the chargers. And then, you know, I think we're all on the same page. So the Raiders are, are kind of the last place right now. So I, I'm surprised at the hype they're getting, man. Like, you know, I think you objectively look at their roster as, being pretty bad outside of the skill positions and edge. Like I like their edge rusher room and I like their receiving options, but that's like it, man. So I don't know. We'll see. I think it's just because they had, they really did not have a great roster last year yet. They just kept winning games. Now, again, that all changes because the identity of their team is different and the coaches are different and a lot of different players, but I think people just, just watch the charge or the Raiders win games they really shouldn't have and i think that sticks in their minds yeah and i also just don't think like somebody like rich eisen like is looking too deeply into draft and roster construction like i think it's kind of like well the raiders are the up-and-coming team and they're the you know obviously were the team from the afc west last year to kind of like get the closest to the chiefs uh in theory and made the wild card spot so you know this is the year that they knock them off right but like it doesn't really work like that I don't know. Yeah. Uh, or at least I, maybe it plays out that way and Rich Eisen ends up being right. We all look like schmucks, uh, but I would take my chances with that. Yeah, I think, you know, the thing that a lot of big media people miss is also just like kind of the nuance of like records. And I mean, the Raiders had like a minus 75 or 65 point differential last year and made the playoffs. Like that's historically bad. Like that is total. It is a total aberration from what we've seen from a normal playoff team. So um, as your dad points out, the, the Raiders D just has to keep opposing teams <laughs> under 30. That's exactly. what we said about the Chargers last year, man, and it did not go well. So, <laughs> right. you know, you never know when Derek Carr has a bad game or Devontae Adams, you know, gets double teamed out of his mind. So you just – you never know. Like, you need to be a well-balanced football team as we all watched last year, and I don't right. think the Raiders are that. So we'll see. We'll have uh, lots of fun content. Uh, over the next few weeks and months about all of the AFC West stuff and and record predictions and things like that. So as always, they are subject to change, you know, depending on health and things like that. But for now, I think, you know, the Chargers just have the, it's so weird to say, I think they're the best roster in the division, but I do really feel that way. So uh, Tyler, Alex, any final thoughts before we head out for the evening? Uh, I'm really bad at these. So, you know, <laughs> I think I had the Chargers going like 12. Uh, I think I said 11 and 6, and then I switched to 12 and 5 again last year. But if it feels right this year, man, I just know it.
Uh, leave a comment down below about how I'm the stinky pessimist of this show and leave a thumbs up. <laughs> no, that was Steven going 13 and four initially on our last video. Yeah, so like, Alex. Oh, really? No, I like I was like going through it and, you know, my initial thought was like 13 and four and everybody was like, no faith in the team. huh? I'm like, <laughs> 13 uh, wins is no having faith. Man, if, I, if I said 11, I might have got kicked off the show <laughs> on that day. But yeah. <laughs> I think 11 and six really is a fair record prediction. And, you know, I don't blame anybody for going that way. You know, Daniel Popper had 11 and six. I think Jake Hefner pointed out that he had 11 and six too. So, um, you know, like I totally understand being a little conservative when it comes to predicting the Chargers record. Like, you know, we've all been fans of this team for a really long time and I get it. I just, you know, I think 12 and five is also fair. Like I think they have a higher ceiling than that. They have probably a lower floor than that. But uh, as long as they make the playoffs, I think I will be at least semi-happy with the season. Yep. So that's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. As we said earlier, we do have the YouTube membership options available now. So it's just another way for you guys to support the show. And we really appreciate all of that. And uh, if you're listening to the audio version of this, please relieve a rating or a review. Uh, I tweeted out a couple weeks ago about the stickers for people who would uh, leave us a review. I just got those stickers in the mail today. So I will be sending those out later this week. So uh, if you did receive a DM from me, keep an eye out for them. If you haven't yet, I will get to you eventually. So uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.